I'm going to turn with you tonight at the occasion of this confession of faith of a son of the congregation to 2 Timothy and chapter 1. After having reminded Timothy, who's a pastor, young pastor at Ephesus of the first century, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, verse 7, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, Paul makes a conclusion, and this conclusion is what we would read from in chapter 1, verses 8 to the end of the chapter. Hear the word of God. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, was abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Thus far we read this word of God. And the text to which I would draw your attention is verse 12. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Beloved congregation, we have witnessed what can only be called a miracle of grace, and that tonight in the congregation. The miracles that are ongoing, the miracles are, that are not just for a time, but the miracles especially of the New Testament age, which God calls sinners to public confession of their faith in Christ. This is the miracle of a confession of the son of the congregation, the son of God, Jonathan Selden. Amazing, confessing Christ when everyone else is confessing man. Amazing, confessing an intent to live according to the, the word of God and according to the promises of God to find his comfort and his joy in a life well-lived to the glory of God. There is, at this occasion, another confession that we would look to at, and that is this outstanding confession of the Apostle Paul. 
Just to remind you, the Apostle Paul is writing his last epistle. This might be his last will and testimony. He's in prison in Rome for the second time, first century A.D. Nero is ramping up the persecution against Christians. And he is there, and he is comforted in the fact that there's a God in whom he believes, this God who loves him and who will keep him unto the day. And so, despite his sufferings, despite the fact that he suffers all these things for the gospel's sake, he's not ashamed For he knows whom he has believed and is persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed unto him until this day. Not a few people have said this is the most remarkable and comforting confession of faith in all of Scripture. Against all odds and against everything that men say, this man says, I believe in God and I'm not ashamed of it. And this is the example we would follow tonight and we would follow together as we consider an unashamed confessor of the faith, Jonathan Selden not only, but all of us who truly believe in Jesus Christ. Three points. One is that idea of believing, an unashamed believing. Secondly, that idea of continuing in spite of the suffering. And then finally, the conclusion of this, living, living a certain way that shows that our faith is an unashamed confidence in the God of our salvation. I start out this sermon with what might seem to be a surprise, and the statement I would say is that everyone believes. Everyone in the face of the planet is born to believe, and they indeed carry out in their faith. Now what I mean by that is God has made human beings especially to be believers of himself, but instead of believers of himself, man has made a believer of himself, in himself, in stuff, or in other things, and and people. So everyone's a believer, but the sinfulness of man is that he's perverted the truth of God and he refuses to believe in God. Everyone, however, is religious, and believe something, someone, and would put their trust, commit their life to this someone or something, even if it be himself. Now, that's not to say that this is a full life, that is, this is a, a wonderful thing that people enjoy. In fact, most people find one God and then another God not sufficient And they believe in one God after another, but the point is that everyone is a kind of believer. And at the end of the day, however, all of this believing, and we're seeing it in the violent uh, jihad of the Muslims who would take vengeance on the Jews and, and all of this, we see this in countless ways. All of this believing in whatever God they believe is vanity, it's empty. And at the day of days when God comes again to judge all human beings for everything that they believed and everything they've done out of that faith, people will be shocked, maybe, because they thought they were believing to some kind of prosperous living, and certainly maybe they thought that they were earning something with God. As the Apostle Paul did for so long, 
He thought he was earning something with God by being a Pharisee of the Pharisees and a persecutor, a persecutor of the true believers in Christ. Everyone believes, and they're going to be ashamed of it one time or another. It doesn't stand their faith, their gods are nothing, their idols of silver and gold and philosophies and ideas. Their ideas may be that most of us can believe and be confident in a consensus, but there's no true faith in God, and as I say, they will be ashamed, confounded in the day of days. For see, the ones who believe in, not in God, they're not ashamed to persecute those who believe. They weren't ashamed to put de Jesus Christ to death. And yet they will be ashamed. They will be found to be guilty. And they will know it. And then they will go to hell in the judgment day. The remarkable thing about Paul, Paul who once was a believer in himself and in the worthiness of man, he's not a true believer. And this comes out in this unashamed confession of faith and his knowing whom he believed. He's in prison. He's about to die. Soon after, according to tradition, he'll be beheaded by Nero and his forces. And yet from prison, he says this, this confession, which is a, an unashamed thing. He's not ashamed at all of the things he's suffering or of the gospel for which he suffers. Now, there's something about this amazing, this wonderful gift of faith, and it's brought out here. The apostle believes and he's convicted. He doesn't believe and he doubts. He's believed and he's convicted. And shame on all of those who have as their faith a certain knowledge, but say, I'm not really convicted, and I sometimes and often doubt, and maybe that's a good thing. The Apostle Paul blows out of the water as an example to all of us what true faith is and what a true confession of faith is. I believe, and I'm persuaded. I know whom I believed, and I'm persuaded, and nothing can take that from me. I'm not ashamed at all of what I believe or who I believe. There's content to Paul's faith. Content because he has spoken of this in the context of this confession of faith. Look at the verse 8 and following. He's calling Timothy not to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of Paul, his prisoner, but to share with him in the sufferings of the gospel. And then he goes and lists the gospel. Let's look at that a little bit. In the first place, he is this believer in the thing called the truth of the divinity of Christ. He's a believer in that doctrine, that teaching. This God who has appeared in the end of time and who saves sinners and this God with us, this Emmanuel God who is able to save sinners and willing to save sinners and he is perfectly perfect to be this Savior. This is the one whom Paul believes, and this is the doctrine, the divinity of Jesus Christ. Paul is speaking first of the, the gospel, which is according to the power of God, 
the gospel of Jesus who saved us to himself. He's redeemed us. Later on, he'll speak of the redemption of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is Savior, and he's God, and, and he is Savior, so that he's this God who's come and he's done the work of salvation in the cross. And he's risen again from the dead and he's ascended to the right hand of, of the, the Most High God. He is there whoever lives to make intercession for us. This is what Paul believes. He believes in these things of the doctrine that he's been teaching all over the New Testament and which will be his bequeath to the congregations and to the whole of the church, the truth as it is in Jesus, God, our Savior. And then he has spoken here of the God who saved us and also called us with a holy calling, meaning he sanctified us. He's called us to be holy. He's called this young man to be holy. If you're one who's saved by God, our Savior, that's the truth then you will be one called with a holy calling. And that's what you believe, and that's what you'll, your life will look like, as we'll see in our final point. Then the apostle has been ministering and preaching and teaching and apostolic in it all as appointed by Jesus Christ of the grace of God. It's a calling not according to works, verse 9, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. He's the apostle of grace. He's the apostle of predestination, he speaks here. It's all here. All the doctrines, all the teachings that have been left to the church of the Reformed faith that God himself chose the people, even gave us grace before time began. Think about that. And now he's revealed this wonderful grace that he chose us in by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, verse 10, who with his death abolished death. That's another thing of which he's not ashamed, not embarrassed. And besides that, positively he's brought life and immortality to life through the gospel the which, to which I was appointed a preacher and so on. So all of these things are things of truth that the apostle's been suffering for, and his faith is something that has latched on to this truth, that has received from God by special revelation and in light of the Old Testament, what we received in the light of the Bible now and through the preaching of the gospel, truths that are in Jesus, so that our life is centered around the truth as it is in him. And we believe that. We confess that we believe the doctrines of the Word of God, Old and New Testament, and taught in this Christian church to be the true and complete doctrine of salvation. Not that we get it all right, but God has given us to know something all right. And it's all the truth as it is in Jesus is summarized in the creeds and into which we're being led day by day to live out our lives with thankfulness. So the Apostle Paul is and shown a great thing, the truth of God in the Savior Jesus, the abolishing of death, the bringing to light of immortality and life everlasting, forgiveness of sins, sanctification, all of these things he's taught because he believes them. He's been given faith to believe them, to know and to be sure in those things. 
There's something remarkable, though. The apostle isn't even talking about that. <laughs> Look what he says. He's not ashamed if he suffers the things that he's suffering, persecution and inevitable death. But he's not ashamed in spite of the suffering, for he knows not something, but he knows someone. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded of this someone that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Now this makes all the difference, beloved. And many in the church who believe things and doctrines, they got a head full, versus those who believe the person of the Son of God. This is a calling tonight. Evaluate your believing you see, the apostle's not ashamed of the things he believes, but especially would he remind Timothy not to be ashamed by his example and his confession of the one he believes, Jesus Christ. And you might think, and the world thinks that, boy, Jesus Christ? Did he die? Aren't his bones somewhere? And didn't it happen when he died? There was nobody there, hardly. They all left him. And the more he taught, the more people were against him. You believe in that? The Apostle Paul would confess that. You, Christian, would confess that. We say yes, indeed. We would say yes, indeed. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. You're not ashamed of Jesus. That's what you're saying here. Not embarrassed about him. That's what that means. I'm not embarrassed about Jesus, are you? I'm not embarrassed about the doctrines of predestinations that we heard this morning even. Double predestination, election, and reprobation. We're not embarrassed about sovereign grace, are we? We know the difficulties of trying to put together the sovereignty of God, that doctrine, and the responsibility of man, to be sure. And we know all the conflict of our minds about the God who's spirit and who's eternal and the God who's a babe, limited in his humanity in all points like as we are except without sin. We know the problem of the cross. It's an insult to our egos. But there it is. The apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of my Jesus, my Savior, my Lord, and my friend, and my companion. I'm not ashamed of the doctrines because they're his. The grace because it's his. The Bible because he wrote it. And by his spirit was speaking through the prophets. And in all of the Old Testament writers. And in the New Testament as well. Not embarrassed or ashamed about that. And it's not disappointing to me either. See, this is amazing. Paul's writing in the Roman prison. And when he writes to the Romans in an earlier epistle, Romans 1.16, he says there, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Same thing he's doing here. I'm not ashamed of the gospel in Rome. You know, in Rome, everybody was ashamed of 
of everything except for Caesar. They were called to, to declare Caesar Lord and Son of God. And they were called to believe that at the inauguration of their Caesars, there was an epiphany, an appearance of someone divine. Contra to what is the appearing of our Savior. They, they love the appearing of Caesar. They were confident and unashamed in the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana. They were confident in the culture of Rome, which was this Greco-Roman culture combined, the greatness of men and jurisprudence and law and, and culture and philosophy and, and the arts than ever the world had seen. They were confident, they were not ashamed, they boast in all of these things. And the Apostle Paul in that setting and we in our cultural context must be ready to say, but I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's not embarrassing to me that I have a Savior who bled for me, a Savior who loves sinners and who is this contradiction among men, but this word of God which never contradicts God. I'm confident in his peace, not embarrassed, and I know that the peace that I've been given in Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, will never be taken away. The Pax Romanum, that would be taken away, the Roman Empire destroyed. I'm confident in the kingdom of Christ, which shall have no end. I'm confident, not embarrassed, will not be disappointed, frustrated, not ashamed. And even though that means suffering, and that's the second point, continuing. You know, brother, suffering is the lot of the Christian. We've spoken of that often, and we spoke of that tonight. Suffering is the portion of the Christian, if you like that word better. Paul in Philippians says it's given to us not only to believe, but to suffer on his behalf. Philippians 1.29. In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, there's this. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things you've learned and been assured of. Jesus himself reminded us that there's a blessedness of those who are persecuted. Theirs is the kingdom of God, and, and they have a greater portion than can be taken away on this earth. And he reminded the disciples, too, in John 15, in that wonderful private discourse with his disciples, that because he's hated, they would be hated. And that's the reason why there's a suffering. And that's why the apostle's not ashamed. He's not embarrassed, not disappointed. He's not having doubts. He's not wavering in his faith. Doesn't matter that he will soon lose his head. Because in suffering, he's blessed to know Jesus who's worth living and dying for. In fact, he says that this, in another place, he says that this suffering of his is 
a part of the suffering of Christ, not to atone, but as Christ's body. You see, there's an honor. And this is why the apostles say, I'm not ashamed of, of anything I'm suffering because I'm honored. Didn't we hear that this morning? We're led to glory, and we're led gloriously to glory, honorably. God will honor the bride he's chosen and graced because God sees the bride at the day of days bedecked with the righteousness and the jewels of Christ's own virtues. He's honored and not ashamed, Hebrews says, to call us brethren. He's not ashamed. He's not embarrassed about you. He's not feeling guilty for I've died for you, even though we're not worth dying for. Christ died for the ungodly. He is not going to be disappointed in keeping you either. And this is all what Paul learned the hard way, we would say, but the only way, suffering for Christ's sake. In spite of it all, nevertheless, he says, all the suffering, I know whom I believe. I know Jesus. And I know the truths of Jesus. And I know that, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Now, what that means is that Paul entrusted Jesus with something. I know and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Different commentators are those who have different views of what it is that Paul committed. But I would submit to you that the clear answer is Paul committed his soul to the Lord Jesus against that day. He committed his work. He committed the churches that he established. He committed the gospel cause. He committed everything to Jesus. And don't you? If we're not ashamed of the gospel, we're not ashamed of the God who's an all-weather God. An in-season and out-of-season God and all circumstances God. Forgiver of all, all manner of sins God. So we commit everything to him, which means simply entrust it to his care. It's one of the manifestations of faith. We entrust Everything we have, our souls, our families, our church, the cause of Jesus Christ in all the world, the unrest in the Middle East and all throughout this world, we entrust this all to God. And we're confident that he's going to keep what we trust. He's, you know, the, the word is used, it's a metaphor here, here really, of someone, when they commit something to something, to someone, of entrusting what is precious to them to their care. Like we would trust the bank with money, or maybe with gold bullion. And we would trust our parents to take care of ourselves while we're away. And, and then we would trust that they would have it there in safekeeping when we came back, and we don't have to, to worry that It'll be taken away. This is what the Apostle Paul says 
as he's in prison, I have committed everything to God. I'm not going to worry. I'm certainly not going to be embarrassed. I'm going to be a testimony to the faithfulness of God and the ability of God, our Savior, Jesus, to keep, to guard. That's the word, to guard what I have committed to him until that day. And that day is most likely the judgment day, though it could refer to the day that Paul dies. Be that as it may, he has that day, the end of his life on earth, and then the end of time on his mind. And he says, even unto that day, and every day until that day, and come what may, I'm persuaded in my God, and I trust in him. So, he continues. And brother, may you continue. We say our vows. A couple has lately said their vows. In sickness and in health. Richer for poorer. For better for worse. To death do us part. We will be faithful. We will be each other's. We will be committed to this marriage. Well, a Christian is a Christian always, or he's no Christian. Because what he's saying here is God is a God always. And he doesn't change according to the opinions of men, no matter what the consensus of men is. He's God, immutable, unchangeable. And he's God today, and he's God in the storm, and he's God in the sun, and he's God tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. So, even at the judgment day, isn't that amazing? I'm persuaded he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day, and you see, most people will be afraid of that day, because that day is the judgment day, the dies irae day of wrath. And the Bible in the Old Testament mostly speaks of the day of the Lord as a day of wrath and judgment. We know that. It's true. And the wicked, they will perish and be absolutely destroyed in that day, even though, as we heard this morning, they may prosper now and have no pangs of conscience, and they may be the wealthiest and the healthiest and the ones with the longest life and the most, most influence at City Hall. But they will perish because that day is destruction. But for us, we know this is the day when God will be glorified in casting the wicked into hell, but saving us sinners to whom he's given faith and faith to continue. Now, this is exactly where the problem is with, with many and with, with those who profess Christianity. Because when suffering comes, and the portion of the people of God is this, many leave. When it becomes hard to endure Christianity, the reproach of the, cro the cross, when others are doubting, 
the success of the gospel and the worthiness of the Son. And we're not, and they go away, it hurts. Like this. Verse 15, this you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom were Phygelus and Hermogenes. He, he points out two by name. You think that? A whole continent left Paul. There he is alone in jail. Hardly anybody visits him except Onesiphorus. But the whole continent leaves. Later he'll speak of an Alexander who did him harm. Other people who name by names, and it's a terrible thing, but the Apostle Paul is steadfast. Even though the reproach of the gospel calls many to leave Christ, not only, but the friends of Christ and churches of Christ, which would be faithful rather than please men. There's where the rubber hits the road. Theology must meet the ground and be real when times are hard and when the disciples whittle away and the true are separated from the false who believe only to a point and they never get to the glories of the cross. The Apostle Paul knew this, but he was steadfast. And he calls Timothy to believe, and he calls us to believe, and be persuaded just like him. And for my final point, which has to do with living, hopefully first two have had to do with living, I'd remind you, Brother Jonathan, that believing and continuing on believing is seen in a certain life. And there's a life of service in the first place, in the first place. And the Apostle Paul is believing and persuaded in the ministry, speaks of himself as an apostle, preacher, and a teacher of the Gentiles. And this has caused the suffering, the persecution. He stood up. He's been serving tirelessly till he bleeds, until he's going to die. And it didn't matter because Jesus who died for him and risen, is risen for him is worth living for and dying for and serving until he, he dies and he goes to heaven. So you serve. And what... Timothy must be reminded of is that he's to serve in the gospel ministry. So the first thing he says after his confession of faith is that Timothy, verse 13, you're to hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Now there's something amazing here. Apostle Paul has said, I've committed everything to God. And you say that when you believe, and we say that when we believe. Everything is God's. He is in control. Everything we have is at his service. And now, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, now there's something which is committed to you. 
You're committing everything to God, but there's something committed to you, that good thing, he says. And I take that to mean a gift that he has, some special gift as being an evangelist and a pastor, and simply his position at the church of Ephesus, the opportunity. Something's committed to his trust. Faith says, I trust and put everything in God's hand, but now something is committed to us by God. In a way, God entrusts us and entrusts the church with truth. Hold fast the pattern of sound words, and this comes to the congregation. No matter what else you do, congregation, don't follow a man or men or anybody, but hold to the truth and follow Jesus wherever he leads. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard. That would be the Bible. Be the pillar and ground of truth that you are. It's a service. But now, there's something getting in the way of that. And that is fear. There's fear. Fear which kills the life of a believer. Timothy is known as Timid Timothy. Do you know that? Timid Timothy. And it seems to be implied... When Paul in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 says this, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. There's something that gets in our way is fear. Fear. I know about my own life, and I wonder if you do, that being a Christian is okay until you get closer and closer to the cross, and then you, you say, now I have to take up my cross and follow Jesus, and I have to suffer for his sake. There's going to be a cost. I've got to leave father and mother and wife and lands and everything that I, put, that I cherish on this world and be heavenly minded, no matter what the cost. We're afraid of that. I am. That impedes our witness, doesn't it? Because if we're confident in Jesus, when all is fine, and we're friends of everybody and everybody in the family, and we don't talk about the hard things like you're a sinner and we need to repent, if that's all we are as Christians, we're not Christians. But if we would fellowship with Christ and his sufferings, then we're understanding something of fearlessness and courage. Courage. It's hard, is life, isn't it? And the hardest life is the Christian life because you go against the tide, you go against the culture. You go against the church even, which it, by and large has just gone the way of being fair-weather Christians and hail fellow, well-met, politically motivated and activated Christians who don't know a snap about the spiritual cause of the gospel and the success of Jesus, which is not measured by numbers, but measured at the cross. So, 
God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And therefore, he says to Timothy, stir up that gift that's given to you. Jonathan, your name is Jonathan. Your name is Christian. I hereby name you Timothy. You're Timothy too. Stir up the gift. I charge you in the name of God, stir up the gift that's given to you. Hold the pattern of sound words which you've heard from your parents and your grandparents and from the church of Christ. Hold it and hold it forth and hold it as your light to be the lamp upon your pathway. I charge you. Be as Onesiphorus too, won't you? And go and visit the apostle in his suffering. This is amazing, the things that are said of this man with a long name that I can hardly pronounce. Well, that's your name too. I now pronounce that your name, your middle name. So you are Timothy, you are Onesiphorus, who was not ashamed to visit Paul in prison and zealously scoured the streets where he could find Paul because the prisons there, you know, they weren't just all these public places necessarily. Paul's a political prisoner, really. He's seen as a threat to Caesar and the kingdom. And so on Asiphorus, he said, have you heard of Apostle Paul? Have you heard of this guy? And he found him, and he kept finding him, and he zealously and diligently ministered him to him, though everyone else in Asia was afraid of this one suffering for Jesus Christ. But Paul says... He's given his testimony, but he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, and don't shy away from it. See, that's what happens. We're afraid of Christ, and we're afraid of Christ's body, which suffers for his sake. We want to get as far away as we can from those people, that church, that apostle, that Lord. We want to preserve ourselves. We believe in the preservation of myself, <laughs> by myself, by going to the doctors, by associating with people who are not anything but nice, even nice Christians. What shall it be? A life of service, a life of fearless courage, a life of a Christian. With all those names, and especially the name Son of God. What shall it be, beloved? This is the happy life. The Apostle Paul was ready. To him, to live was Christ, and to die was gain. Let's say that. Not embarrassed, never disappointed, and never shall be in the day of days, the judgment day, when God will say, enter into the joy of the Lord, and he will pronounce us to be those righteous in Christ, and that is what we will claim and be glad for, the righteousness of Christ. We've heard an unashamed confessor of faith tonight in light of the apostle of unashamed confessors of Christ. Let's follow his example. Wherever the Lord leads, to and from the cross, all the way to glory. Amen.
We thank you, Lord, for the love that you showed to us. The love that you showed to Jonathan and to all who confess the name of Jesus. The love you showed to us that is undying, never thwarted, and from which it is impossible to be separated. The love of Jesus shown on the cross. How amazing is this gift of faith and persuasion and certainty, boldness and courage. It's all of grace and all your gift. We're gracious, we're grateful, Lord, for your grace. We pray that this congregation may continue the celebration, for that's what this is. We're celebrating what you have done and are doing. One man's life and all of our lives. God, we pray, help our faith. Help us to be more persuaded. Weaned from this world and what it puts its trust in. This world of unbelieving believers, irreligious religionists who know not Christ and the glories of his glorious appearing again. Lord, we thank you for the message and we pray, work our faith, give us to respond with love and kindness and good conversation. And as we fellowship together, may it be sweet and the rest that is in Jesus. On his Lord's day and every day until the day of days when we'll be taken home. Amen.